0: For to us a child is born a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on the his government side. will be on his shoulders and he will be called oh, wonderful counselor counselor mighty god mighty god ever- everlasting father everlasting father prince of peace the prince of peace welcome to seacoast we're glad you're here i want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an offsite campus or on the internet Uh, or maybe in a podcast. We're glad that you have chosen to join us also. And I want to take just a minute to uh, speak to some of my friends who uh, have churches in um, the Midwest and in the Northeast who have had to cancel today. And some of you are on the Internet. I know that. Uh, We're praying for you. And uh, you can move. I mean, (laughs) God will bless you in nice, nice places. And can I tell you that a white Christmas is just not all that it's cracked up to be? Um, if you want a white Christmas, this is how we do it here. You go to the beach, get you some sand, and uh, then decorate maybe some lights on a palm tree, uh, kick the air conditioning up, throw a log on the gas stove, and that's Christmas. That's, that's what I'm talking about, right? Right? Okay, good. 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 And uh here right now uh it is raining sideways or it was, but at least it's a warm rain. And uh so we're glad we're glad you're here. I hope you're enjoying Christmas. I I know I really am. Let me uh let me ask you a question, all right, as we as we begin our our service today and our our message today. Let me let me ask you a question. When you think of fathering, or or let's just say I say the word father. What do you think of? What comes to mind? I say the word father. Um, For some of you, it's really good thoughts. I know when I say that with my kids, they have wonderful, warm uh, feelings. (laughs) Maybe you had a father or have a father that very involved in your life, and it's been good. Nobody's perfect; none of them are, but you got a good dad, you know, and that's kind of a good feeling and a good thought. That was that was mine. My father's a good guy, and you know, very involved in our lives uh, as we were growing up. Good thoughts, good thoughts, good feelings. For others, when I say the word father, it's a little bit awkward. Kind of like this. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs? It's me on the intercom. Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad! All right, uh... Let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. You did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, Are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm here with my dad And we never met And he wants me to sing him a song <laughs> And um, I was adopted But you didn't know I was born So I'm here now I found you, daddy And guess what? I love you, I love you, I love you <sighs> Well, that was weird Usually guys just, uh, you know, put my name in the jingle bells or something. It's me, Buddy. Who sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper, too. It's okay. Walter's my father. Well, your dad's busy right now. Okay, I'll come back later. Yeah, you know, you're not going to come back for a while, okay? You're going to go back to Sandland. Okay. Nothing says Christmas and fathering like Elf, right? (laughs) So for some of us, father, dad, really good feelings, others awkward. And for some, honestly, in in a house this big or maybe in the campuses or wherever you might be listening, uh, when I say father, it brings painful memories, brings painful memories and painful thoughts. And uh, and I I know it's that way for some of you. I have a friend um, that we grew up together. And then we uh, went to college and got involved in life and kind of lost touch with each other for about 30 years, really. And then uh, we reconnected uh, five or six years ago. It's been really cool because we were good friends growing up, and now we're real close close friends. And uh, so when we were reconnecting, we were having coffee one day, and he asked me, he said, uh, "What's, what's your biggest challenge in life? I thought about it, and I, I told him about some of you. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I returned the question. I said, and what is your biggest challenge in life? And what you need to know about him is that he, um, he's at the top of his game. He's the best there is at what he does. And he has achieved success like neither one of us ever, ever dreamed about when we were kids. He's the best of the best at what he does. And so I figured that his answer would be, you know, something to do with what he does. And he said, no, my biggest challenge in life is dealing with my feelings or has been dealing with my feelings toward my father. I thought, wow. I mean, we're nearly 50 years old and, um, you know, he's successful in what he does. And yet the thought of his father brings pain. And some of you can relate to that. uh, But... Here's the problem is, is this, is whatever our image of our earthly father is impacts how we view God and, and impacts whether we can really relate to him, whether he is um, actually can, can, can do things in, in our life that he desires to do. It's impacted either positively or negatively by the image of our earthly father. And that's a problem. Now, God knew that. And our series right now that we're doing uh, for Christmas is All I Need for Christmas. Not All I Want for Christmas. It's All I Need for Christmas. And we're studying Isaiah and the Christmas prophecy where he talks about the child that is to be born. And he says, in the child that is to be born, and in fact, the child was born 700 years after Isaiah 2,000 years ago for us. Um, he, he said, when this child is born and it comes in as a gift from God for Israel and for you. He said, here's what he's going to be like. He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor because that's what you need. You need. How many of you would agree that in the times that we live, it would be helpful to have a Wonderful Counselor? Somebody that can kind of help us through. And we did a week on that. He said, here's what, what else you're going to need. You're going to need a Mighty God. How many of you think in a time like in times like this, we could use a mighty God, okay? So He's going to be a mighty God. So we talked about what that meant last week. And then He says something really interesting. He says, He will be called Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. I mean, of all the words, I mean, think of all the words that God could have chosen in the world, all of the terms, all of the phrases to describe the gift of Jesus at Christmas and and who God is, and He chose everlasting Father. Why that about Jesus? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the point that I want to make is um, it's what you need. It's what I need. Because if we don't understand everlasting Father, we'll never be able to embrace the gift of Christmas. And our images of a Father God are skewed by our view of our earthly father. So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes. And I want to talk about that. My friend then a year or two later sent me a book um, by Stephen Poulter. I think it's called Father Factor. And uh, he said, this was really good for me to understand my father in a situation that I grew up in. Um, uh, and, and, so, and, so I, and so I got it and I read it. And, and uh, Poulter kind of lists Five fathering uh, styles. I'm not going to do a book review this morning. I'm just going to take his five fathering styles just as kind of a reference uh, at the beginning of our message and talk about maybe hit on where we all came from, how it impacts. Then then, then I'm going to add how it impacts our view of God. And then I want to take a a few minutes just right at the end. And I want to talk to you about who God really is and why it's important for you to understand in this christmas season sound like a fair enough game plan so here's what we're going to do the, the first fathering style of earthly fathers is uh is what Poulter actually describes as a super achiever a super achiever as a father this father is a father who is never satisfied never satisfied so if you grew up in a home like that whatever you did just wasn't good enough wasn't good enough. I mean, if you brought home a B, he wanted an A. If you brought home an A, he wanted you to be how high is the A? Are you at the top of the class? Where are you at? You did well in athletics. It wasn't quite good enough. If you did well in the arts, it just wasn't quite good enough because he was never ever satisfied. My uh, my my friend's father was like that. He was a hard guy, real real hard guy, tough guy, and. Uh, and whatever my friend did or tried as a little guy, it was never good enough. And he tried a lot and he was really good at some things, but it was never good. His dad would never acknowledge it. So my, my little buddy, would he would perform, perform, perform for dad, hoping that dad would at least say something, and dad never would. And so he found himself as an adult, still, regardless of what he was doing, he was performing for dad, trying to get dad to respond. And he said kind of the breaking point for him, one of the breaking points that, that came uh, was when... Uh, he was up for an award. I told you he was really good. Somebody in the church this week gave me a magazine from that trade industry uh, of de- December right now of, of 2008. And my friend's the first story on the, on the top of on the top of the cover. And uh, he's best in the world. And, and he was going to get an award recognized as it the best in the world that was going to be watched on television by millions of people all over America and around the world. Invited Dad to be a part, and Dad wouldn't. Dad didn't even watch the show and never acknowledged what his own son had done. And he said, uh, he said, for him that was kind of a continuation of what John Eldridge calls the wound, when fathers kind of wound their sons. And uh, it was a dad who was totally unpleasable. Now, the problem with that is that um, when we look at God and we see God through the lens of our earthly father, we see God as a father who is never satisfied, never satisfied. And a lot of people even kind of gra- gravitate toward a theology around that. And it's a works, 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 works theology but i 've got 've got you know it 's never enough it 's never enough and I've got to work and I work and work and is God really pleased and we never since God smile and so we keep working and doing more and doing more and sometimes people even that 's their motivation to volunteer I mean we need volunteers we, we, we need to volunteer we need to serve and the church has to exist on volunteers, but there are some people that volunteer for everything out of a motivation that I, I hope god 's happy with me. I hope this makes up for whatever it is it's Got, got upset in the past. Rather than volunteering out of a motivation that says, you know what? Jesus Christ died for me. God has done so much in my life. I just want to get back. That's, that's a motivation. But people who people who kind of see their father, God, through this lens of it's never pleased and it's never enough. They work, work, work. They get burned out. They never sense God's smile. They give up hope for approval because he's like, Dad. And so it's important to understand that. Second fathering style is what Poulter calls a time bomb. And and I say, it's, it's a father who's always angry. It's a father who's always angry. Some of you lived in a home like that. You never knew what was going to make dad explode. I mean, it might be as simple as just, how was your day, dad? Boom, there it goes. And there's just emotional devastation all over the place. I, I have another friend that grew up in a home like that. He had four brothers. And he said, dad was just so cruel. He was just abusive to them. He would explode. He would physically abuse them. I said, how did that impact your relationship with him? They said, we hated him. My friend actually said, you know, when dad died, he said, I feel real guilty saying this, but it was a happy day for us and our family because we had peace in the home finally. He said it was, like, it was like a war zone in our home. And unfortunately, a lot of times when, when, when you've got a dad with real, real anger problems, they take it out on the kids and, and you've got... You've got abuse of all kinds, physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. When you're abused, how does that impact your view of God? Do you want to get close to a God who calls Himself Father, who you see as angry and dangerous? I don't think so. It's like it's like one guy's view of God, uh, or our view of God is kind of like a guy that uh, went was going to go to a cabin that he had in the mountains just to taking a weekend away. And so he piled all his stuff in his car and he took a drive and about a mile from the cabin, the car broke down. And so he gets out of the car and he gets his backpack full of food and stuff. And he's just going to hike on the next mile and it starts to rain and then it's raining sideways. And he's totally soaked and he gets about 100 yards from the door and lightning bolt strikes the house and burns it down. And so he gets underneath a tree to get out of the, you know, water and water rain and stuff and he cries out to God. And he says, God, why me? And he, the clouds part and a voice comes down from heaven that says, because some people just tick me off. <laughs> and for some people, that's their view of God, that God is just ticked off at them all the time. Now, a third fathering view is uh, one that uh, Poulter calls a passive father. And that's a father who can't express emotion. Can't express emotion. That's, yeah, it was a, that was the television dad of the 1950s. Leave it to Beaver, Father Knows Best, Ozzy Nelson. Actually, it was the generation of my father's generation. These guys, you know, steady, calm, hardworking, good guys. They would never do self-destructive stuff to hurt themselves or their family. They just couldn't emote. They, they were kind of emotionally... Not there. The wife, the wife, the women, they're, they're the ones that do the emotional thing and the guys were detached emotionally. It's been kind of interesting uh, to watch the evolution of my dad who kind of grew up in that, that generation. Um, Surratt's were not a hugging family. They're just not a huggy kind of people. Now, I, I'm try- I, I, I like to hug, okay? I'm getting through that, I'm figuring that out. But it was interesting... You know, growing up, it, when you came to hugging moments, it was awkward. Any, anybody else relate to that? I mean, you know, it's time to to leave. You know, we're going to go, and you're staying here, and I'm. And do we shake hands? Do we hug? What do we do? Cause it's kind of an awkward moment, you know, kind of stuff. I uh, da- dad loved us. There's no doubt that dad loved us. He just never said it much. You know, didn't know really how to communicate that a lot. Um, dad also had anger issues. Um, usually with, with fathers, we were more than one of these things. And and, uh, and it really came out when my mother died, when she was 54 years old. It just devastated him, as it would anybody. But that's the only girlfriend he ever had. Met her at 14 years old, started dating her at 17, got married when they were 19 and 20. And then she's gone. And he would bottled it up and just had real issues that kind of spread out in, in a lot of ways. So my dad had a heart attack uh, a couple of years ago. And I flew out to L.A. to spend a little bit of time with him. And I got there about the time he got out of the hospital. And, uh, and so we went and had breakfast uh, at a little uh, cafe on the, on the beach, not far from where he lives. And uh, and so we sat and we talked for a couple, three hours and just a really long time. We hadn't had one of those talks, I don't know, ever. And uh, Dad started talking about, you know, some issues that he had struggled with emotionally and and with anger issues, and he began to kind of apologize. And I'm, I'm going, Dad, you didn't time out. You don't have to do that. I have good, good memories. He said, no, I have to. He said, there were some things I didn't do right. And I said, is this kind of born out of this near-death experience that you just had? And he said, no, actually, it was an experience a couple of years ago where I came to the end of myself face-to-face with God in my loneliness, and God showed me where my anger and my distance and how it had impacted you guys. And I just want you to know, I'm sorry. <laughs> there were a few tears, as you can imagine. I'm kind of trying to not be a wimp right now. But uh, it's been kind of fun to watch Dad's efforts at, you know, kind of half-hugging and kind of just doing this whole, what do I do, you know, 72 years old, let's learn something new. How do you do this? You know, kind of a deal. Well, you know what, If 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 your image... If 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 you were grew up in a, in a in a in a home where dad was just totally withdrawn emotionally, how does that impact your image of God? You know you 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 you, you see God is distant. God's not really it, there. It's you know God's kind of this intellectual thing, and that's what a lot of guys turn to. Just, you know, just keep the. I don't want to relate on a heart level. That's why worship sometimes in church is difficult for for guys. Some guys, because you know I'll I'll relate to God intellectually, but let my wife relate to him emotionally. I, I just can't do that. And, you know, we'd stand and I hope they don't make me clap or God knows I'd never raise my hands, you know, or I hope I don't cry during this time. And that, that can, kind of a distant kind of a thing from God because it's just hard because of sometimes how we view God. Um, absentee father, absentee father is the fourth one. A father who's seldom there. I'm going to share one more story. This seems like an Oprah moment today. I don't, I don't know. This will be the last one for my life. Um, I remember being about a 9 or 10-year-old guy and going to the funeral of a grandfather I never knew. I would have loved to have known him. first time I ever saw him was in the casket at the funeral. Uh, it was his choice. When my mom was 10 years old, um, he left to go to the grocery store and never came back. Never came back. How can, let me tell you how that impacted my mother uh, anger, confusion, hurt, internalizing it, thinking it's her fault, and ultimately having a real hard time trusting, especially men. Impacted her marriage at first because every time my dad would leave the house, she would wonder is he ne- never going to, never going to, Come back, he abandoned them. Can you imagine how that impacted her view of God? You know You want me to get up close to a God who is going to bail at some point when the time, time gets tough i mean she she did it. She came to a real understanding of the last things i 'm going to talk to you about today absentee fathering. see if you were a family of divorce, you may have had a dad who was seldom there. Um, you may you know I know so many of us are various situations. And you may have tried real hard. Maybe you do try real hard. But sometimes it's a guy that just bails, like my grandpa. And uh, kids' response to a dad's that aren't there are pretty predictable. They're going to have fear. They're going to have a lot of pain that they're going to bury and and then let it translate into anger in order to cover, cover the wound. Uh, some kids become overachievers, attempting to be the man their father never was. Some personalize the rejection and say, man, it's my fault. And, but a lot of guys, especially young guys, take, take it out in anger. They take their anger out on society and to the people who are the closest to them. We read about them all the time in the newspaper. It's the guys that are killing each other and, and there's just anger everywhere. Young teenage guys. And guys that have no respect for authority because the only male authority they knew bailed on them. You know, They're not there. They're not there. How do you think they view God? I mean, here's this male authority figure. What, what am I supposed to do with that? And so it impacts the way we view God. The fifth uh, kind of fathering style is one that Poulter calls a compassionate father. And that's a father who's fully engaged. And can I tell you, that's what we need. That's what all of us need a a dad who who makes their kids a priority and who does whatever it takes to raise them properly and provide an emotional kind of safe harbor and who will correct them in love rather than punish them in anger and who expresses his love freely and who will be there when it matters. That's what we need. That's what we need. And you know, guys, and I know this is kind of slanted at guys a little bit. I'm sorry, ladies. We'll bring you along for the ride toward the end. Uh, This is not an all-skate yet. This is just guys. Um... The here's, here, here's, here's the here's the deal. It's what we all need. But guys, it's also what we need to be. It's what we need to be. It's dads, fathers, friends. We need to be that. So here's the deal. Where do you learn that? Who's going to model it? Now we come to the Christmas story. That's why Isaiah said 2,700 years ago, this is what you need. This is what the world needs. The world needs... Isaiah 9, verse 6, a child who is born to us and a son who is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulder and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. He will be a model to all of us. say, Jesus, Everlasting Father, what's up with that? I know about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure Jesus is the second one, son. What's up with that well i'm not going to do you know I mean I'm not going to do uh, a whole treatise on the Trinity I can't cover that in you know twenty seconds, but let me give a, let, me, let me give you a shot at just a concept here. It's, Jesus is God he is he is all of those things so much more than any of us can understand. but here's my role in life. I have several roles, three of them are this i'm a son to somebody i'm a husband to my best friend. And I am a father to four kids, and now I'm a grandfather to two more. So there's four roles. Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. He's also referred to as the husband of the church, the New Testament, and he's referred to as the father of us all. So they're all all roles. But the important thing is this, is that he models for us who God is. So here's what I want to do for just a few minutes. I want to take if if our earthly fathers and, and none of them are perfect and and we're we're all flawed to some degree or another. But if our earthly father uh, impacts how we view God, who is God really as our father? What does it mean that Jesus is everlasting Father? Let me give you just a couple of thoughts. Number one, our everlasting Father is compassionate. He's compassionate. How do I know that? Psalm 103 in verse 8 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. What does that say about God? What does that say about Jesus? It says, first of all, He's compassionate. What does it mean to be compassionate? Man, when you're hurting, you want to go to somebody who's compassionate, right? Compassionate means they, they feel it. I want to go to somebody that feels it. You feel my pain. I'm hurting. It says the Lord is compassion. He feels. He feels your pain. He knows what that's about. It says that He is slow to anger. He's not mad at you all the time. God's not mad at you all the time. He loves you. Now, occasionally, He disciplines you. He never does it in anger. He always does it for your benefit. And then it says He is abounding in love. In other words, it's not like, I'm going to give you a little bit of love here, a little bit of love there. No, I'm going to abound in love. You know, it's not like, I'm going to withhold my approval until you do the right thing. No, 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 no. You don't have to work for God's approval. You don't have to work for God's love. Now, does He correct you when you're wrong? Yeah, because He loves you. But you know what? He made a choice to love you a long time ago. And He just does because that's who He is. And He isn't stingy with it. He is abounding in love. That's your everlasting Father. He's caring. Second thing he is, is he's caring. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I want to read this one out loud. This is one of my favorite verses. Let's read it out loud. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Plans, plans. I know the plans. Have you ever built a house? Have you ever built a building? We were part of building a church right here. You know the most frustrating part of the church building? When we decided we wanted to build a church, I was ready for it to be done. I'm kind of a uh, aim, ready, fire guy. You know, I mean, no, no, uh, ready, fire, aim. That's it, ready, fire, aim. You know, let's just get it done, get it done. We had to go through plans, okay. Where do you want the bathrooms? I don't care, just put them in, you know. Where do you want this? Where do you want that? Several months going through the planning process. But think about this says, God says, I know the plans. In other words, God's been thinking about you. Planning doesn't happen just like this. God has been thinking about you. He's caring about you. He has your best interest in mind. He's not selfish and self-seeking. He's for you, not against you. If there's an unanswered prayer in your life right now or a situation that you don't understand, remember that He has your best interest in mind. You're not God. He is. He sees with a bigger perspective. You may not see that right away, but He is your Father who is compassionate and He's caring. Let me give you another thing. Our everlasting Father is always there. He's always there. I love this one. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I Forsake you? That's what God says. I was talking about this concept with my son Joshua, who is also the father to my grandson Miles. And Josh said, "You know, when Miles was born, when he first looked at him, spent a little bit of time with him, he said the thought that I had was this: there is nothing that you could ever do that will cause me to stop loving you. See so that little baby? There's nothing you can ever do that will cause me." to stop loving you because I love you as a father. And I said, Joshua, that will be tested. (laughs) Is there any testimonies on that? Real quick, real quick testimonies. Okay, all right. It was tested for me just this week. That sweet little angel grabbed my iPhone and threw it in my potato soup. (laughs) I was sucking soup out of my iPhone (laughs) just to get it out of there, you know. Did he ruin it? No, it just has a few new features now. You know, it just does some things differently. That will be tested. My son's love for his son will be tested. Here's a point I want to make. Listen to me very, very closely. That's the difference between earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. God's love is never tested for you. I don't care what you do. God made a decision that he was going to love you. It was such a strong decision but he said, you know, when they wander away and when they, when they sin, I'm actually going to make a way for them back into my good graces, not through what they have to do, but through Jesus Christ. I'm going to give my son as a gift. There's nothing you can do that will cause God to love you more or love you less. On your best day, God loves you. With everything he has. On your worst day, God loves you with everything he has. His love for you will never be tested because he's made a decision that he loves you. He just does. David understood that. The psalmist, in Psalm 27 and verse 10, he says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. You know, your your earthly father may very well have walked out on you. But God never will. You say, but I feel abandoned my God. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we feel abandoned when we do things that we think are so bad and so wrong that God will never love us again. God will never be able to forgive us. So we feel abandoned. Or sometimes we feel abandoned because we feel like God has gone somewhere. Where are you, God? Why don't you answer this prayer? Why don't you do this? Where are you, God? We feel abandoned. But you know what? If you feel abandoned by God, you're projecting feelings on Him that aren't His heart. Have you ever done that with somebody? Have you ever projected what you're feeling on somebody else and they go, I never felt that. That's not what I'm thinking. Well, we're projecting feelings on God that He never thought. In fact, Isaiah 49 and verse 14 says, Yet they may say, My Lord deserted us. He has forgotten us. Verse 15, Never. Can a mother forget her little child and not have love for her son too? Yet even if that should be, I will not forget you. See, I have tattooed your name on my palm. God's got ink for you. (laughs) It's ink that can't be written away. Don't you ever forget it. Your heavenly Father loves you and He will never abandon you. I don't know who wrote it. I wish I did, but it goes like this. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. (laughs) If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. And whenever you want to talk, He'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe and He chose your heart. What about the Christmas gift that He sent you in Bethlehem? Not to mention that Friday at Calvary. Face it, friend. He's crazy about you. (laughs) That's your Heavenly Father. That's who He is. Okay, how do you respond to that? I'm going to talk to you about response time. We we have response time here at Seacoast. How do you respond to your Heavenly Father? How, How do you respond to a message like this today at Christmas? Let me give you four ideas. Number one, receive His love. Receive it. Receive it. You know, it is possible that someone could give you a gift this Christmas that you never opened and took advantage of. Would you agree with that? You never got the benefit of it because you never opened it. It will not happen with me because I open them as soon as I get them. My wife, however, wants to save them all till Christmas, Right? It is possible that you could receive a gift, that someone could give you something very, very important that could maybe, you know, be, be the thing that helps you in this particular, you know, situation you're in or area of your life or whatever. And you never open it, and it didn't do you any good. God has given Jesus Christ; it's what you need. Two thousand years ago, He was born in Bethlehem, and He still lives today, forever. And He and He died for your sin. And there are some of you have never received that. So here's the question you need to ask yourself during response time. Just ask this. Is God my father? Is God my father? You say, well, I, I thought he was everybody's father. Uh, no, he's not. He's, he created everybody. The Bible's very clear that he is he's, he's creating a family right now, a spiritual family. And uh, the gateway into that family is to be born again. And the way you're born again is to receive the gift of, of Jesus Christ, acknowledge. You know what? I'm not a part of His family. I want to be. God, would you receive me based on Jesus Christ? And He will. So just pray during our response time. Just have a conversation with God. Say, God, I'm not sure I'm a part of Your family, or I know I'm not. I want to be a part of Your family. Did you know that there are people probably sitting with you today that are praying like crazy that you'll do that because they want to be. They want you to be a part of God's family forever. And so that's the first thing you do. second thing you do is embrace God's love. Maybe you're a part of God's family, but you really don't feel His love that much. Just embrace it. Take some of the principles I've talked about today and ask God during the response time, God, would you clear up this image of you that I have in my mind? God, thank you for loving me. Just say that. Thank you for loving me. Maybe you want to embrace or whatever and just say, God, I want to sense and feel your love. Just take a minute. Just sit there and do it. Maybe some of the words to the songs will God will use to help you to feel His love. Okay? So the question is, have I ever felt His love? The third thing that you may want to do during response time is to re- receive strength from God's love. To receive strength from God's love. Um, my, I'm going to go back to my friend. I asked him if I could use his story. And he said, yeah. He said, I would love for you to. Uh, he said "He said this. He, he was excited about it. He said, you know, hopefully it will encourage people that they can get beyond stuff. He says it takes a lot of grace and forgiveness and work on yourself, but I'm living proof that it can be done. The most freeing liberation came when we were able to, without a doubt, make sure that their issues, father issues, don't become my issues. So like abuse of any kind, it's still there. But God will help in our desire it is possible to live above it and to be totally free. And he said, that's where I'm living. And you, honestly, there has not been reconciliation. His, his dad has not acknowledged anything. And you know what? If, if that's what it takes to live free in that situation, uh, that, that the person that has hurt you has to say they're sorry, that's something you can't control. But here's what you can do. You can forgive your father. You can forgive. You can forgive the one who hurt you. I was speaking to someone in the foyer just a few minutes ago who had heard the message. <laughs> she said, you know, she said, that's true. She said, uh, I was sexually abused by my stepfather. And she said, the moment of truth came for me when I was finally able to say to him, I forgive you for what you've done. And she said, then I walked away and I forgave my biological father for not being there for me because he was in prison. I thought, huh. incredible. And how's that impacting you today? She said, I walk in freedom. I don't have baggage. I don't have excess baggage, at least, from not forgiving. So maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you want to go to the cross and maybe you want to just forgive and say, you know what? I'm not going to carry baggage into 2009. 2009. And here's the fourth thing you can do is to be changed by God's love. The question is this, am I committed to being a compassionate father? Hey, we're all flawed. We're all flawed. Maybe you heard a message like this and you went, uh, let's see, style number one, yep, that was me or is me. Style number two, I'm there. Style number three, yeah, I'm there. Style number four, oh boy. Let's ask God to help. Just be willing to go, you know, maybe go to the cross and say, God, hey, forgive me, God. And then have a conversation with your kids or your family or whatever and say, you know what, I want things to be different. I want things, things are different inside of me and I want them to be different. You know what, that just may be the best Christmas gift you could give anybody this Christmas, all right? So let's respond to God. I'm going to pray for you and uh, I'm just going to ask that you do what God wants you to do. Lord, we thank you for our time with you today. Thank you for being everlasting Father. God, I just pray that you would do a deep work in our hearts today as we acknowledge you. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come in this place and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.